When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you've tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you have gone away because you long greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your God shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. And Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may, be, they may decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was, by heat, by day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my Sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I've been in your house. I've served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom you have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I. Let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Zahaduah. But Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galid and Mizpah. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me. 
And when we are when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. And Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and a pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor and the God of their father judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. And they ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. As far as the reading of God's word. Let's bow in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this beautiful Sunday morning and the opportunity and the privilege that we have to come and worship you once again. Dear Lord, please be with Pastor Bob as he delivers this message, your words, and please open our hearts and our minds and accept these words and learn to apply them to our lives this week and in the next. Dear Lord, we just thank you for all the blessings. This we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Lord's Day in part one about Laban, we considered the fact that he was an opportunist. As uh, the servant of Abraham comes with all the gold earrings and trinkets and silver, he sees this as an opportunity for himself to grow wealthy. Secondly, we saw him as a deceiver in the whole marriage situation with Rachel and Leah, the offering of Rachel and then the taking of it back and giving him Leah in her place. We saw last week that he is a reminder, a reminder of the deception that continues in this world as well, that there are many who continue to seek to, uh, to deceive for financial gain in life. This morning then, uh, we will see him, first of all, as self-seeking, secondly, we'll see him as an idolater, and then we'll see him as a submitter probably coining a new phrase or a new way of saying it, but I think you'll figure it out. So the three points for this morning are he was self-seeking, he was an idolater, he was a submitter. See, we have to go back and ask the question as we read this passage, what is it that caused Jacob to leave? He has married, that's where we were last week, he had married both wives. What is it now that caused Jacob to leave? Well, if we go back into the 30th chapter, what we find out is this, that Laban doesn't want Jacob to leave. Jacob, or Laban, you see, is growing wealthy off Jacob's presence. Ever since Jacob has arrived on the scene, Laban's flocks have been increasing. Laban, who is somewhat superstitious, or perhaps we could say a lot superstitious, believes that it is the presence of Jacob that has brought about the blessing upon his crops and upon his flocks. And that appears to be the truth. But, you see, he doesn't want Jacob to leave, not because of Jacob's God, but because, you see, this has been a gain for him. He's not interested in his 
in his daughters. He's not really interested in his grandchildren. He's not interested in Jacob. The one that Laban is interested in is Laban. Now, if we go back into chapter 30, pick it up at verse 28. Laban comes to Jacob and says, name your wages and I will give it. That's the offer. That, that's the agreement. What, I, I want you to stay. I don't want you to leave. Jacob should have left. The, the arrangement was he was to go and to get a wife and then to return to the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. But you see, Laban is drawing him away from that. He's drawing him away from his father. He's drawing him away from the promises that are there waiting for him in Canaan. And rather than saying, no, Laban, I'm not interested. I'm going back. I got my inheritance. I have this covenant with the Lord, and we're God's covenant people. I'm going back to Canaan. Laban lures Jacob away from the promises that are already his to that which might spark an interest in Jacob. See, Laban knows Jacob's heart. It's like Satan knows our heart. He knows what entices us. He knows what buttons to push. Laban knew that as well. And the button he pushes here is name your wages. Wow, what an opportunity for Jacob, right? Continue on. Jacob said to him, You yourselves know how I have served you and how your livestock have fared with you. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. But now, when shall I provide for my own household? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through your flock today removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So honesty will answer for me later. When you come to look into my wages with you, everyone that is not speckled or spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. This is an opportunity. In Laban's view, Jacob could have not asked for anything cheaper. Gee, you're willing to work for spotted and black animals? We rarely have them around here. Sure, you can have them. Jacob says, well, let me take those out. Okay, And now all the young, what he's saying is all the young that are born there, those are mine. The originals belong to you. But young are mine. Laban's thinking, this this is a piece of cake. This is easy. Of course I agree to it. But notice how self-seeking Laban is. Look at the very next line. But that day, now that but comes in for a particular reason, isn't it? It's saying there's an agreement on the table. Everything's good with the agreement. But Laban is doing something 
that is opposed to that which just has been agreed upon. What does Laban do? But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one of them that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. Sure, Jacob, you can have them all. Whatever turns up. See if you find any. He takes away that which he had just agreed to give. See, this man is self-seeking. He doesn't care about Jacob. He doesn't care if Jacob gets more animals or not. It's all about him. See, and, and Jacob's just the good luck charm that's bringing Laban success. I don't want Jacob to have success. I want the success. So he's making it nigh impossible for Jacob to succeed. But we know, as the story goes on, that Jacob does. Somehow, in some way, some of it kind of crazy sounding, Jacob succeeds. The arrangement for Jacob to work for Laban is going to last for six years. In the course of that six years, we learn that the wages get changed ten times. Not for Jacob's betterment. This isn't the, well, Jacob, you've done so well, let me reward you. I'll give you a quarter increase per hour. No, it's the other way. Hey, this speckled thing ain't working out so good. Let's change it. Because you're, you're speckled, you're getting a lot more than what I have. So let's change this around. So by the time you turn to chapter 31, now Jacob heard that the sons, what the sons of Laban were saying. Jacob has taken all of our fathers, and from what was our fathers he has gained wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. There's changes. There's change of heart. There's a demeanor now that, that's looking at Jacob, not so much as this potential of, of success, but as a foe, as an enemy. Go down to verse 8, verse 7. Yet your father has cheated me and has changed my wages ten times. Laban is self-seeking. His word is not good. Now let's just stop there and ask ourselves, why does Jacob stay then? Why doesn't Jacob leave? Because Jacob is being lured and goaded and enticed into sin. Because you see, Jacob's Flocks are increasing too. Laban's changing them because Jacob is successful. And rather than leaving, Jacob stays. Here's a hard lesson for us. Not everybody 
who calls themselves a Christian is. I want you to think about that because that's important. That's important to them because Laban keeps using the language. Laban keeps talking about the God of Abraham and Nahor and so on. He, he talks the lingo. But he's not really a believer. He is self-seeking. He has a complete different agenda in mind. He's just using the language to get at something. His own purposes, his own ends. Not everybody who sends you a letter that says, hey, you know, I'm a missionary and I'm serving here and, you know, I need some more funds, is a missionary. Not everybody who says they're a Christian is a Christian. Sometimes it's just they are self-seeking and after their own agenda. Here's lesson number two. Not every organization that calls itself Christian or associates itself with Christ is. Sometimes they're just being used by the devil to take you away from Christ. Sometimes They're used by the devil to take your children away from Christ. Under the name Christian. Under the banner of Christ. They use it as a means to fulfill their own purposes. How do they do it? They goad, they entice. How? Mainly by appealing to our emotions. They they very seldom appear to appeal to our reason, appear to appeal to our knowledge, appeal to our intellect. They, They generally appeal to our emotions. And what comes off is this. Your old fuddy duddy church. Where you go and you have to sit and listen is boring. Don't you want that which is exciting? Luring, goading into sin. And as parents, you bear that responsibility for the soul of your child. Don't you find it rather interesting? I do. I find this very interesting. That you can hardly find a church from Nunica over that can bother to go to church on a Sunday night. They can't have a worship service. But they can all gather on the waterfront. things going on let's close down the churches 
Let's appeal to the emotions. Let's lure and goad. Do you think God would rather have 40 churches filled with people worshiping and praising, His Word being read, His Word being preached? Or individuals being applauded? Do you think God would rather have? See, Laban, he's just using the lingo. Christian, Satan does this in so many ways to our hearts. So many ways. He uses that which which appears Christian. But he's just using it for his own purposes and his own ends. Jacob is here as the reminder. Jacob, get up and leave. Christian, up and smite them. Christian, answer boldly. Christian, live the Christian life. So many enticements. We used to live in a community here, here in Marne and Wright Township in which to find an event on the Lord's Day. You had to search high and low. Today, that fairgrounds is used almost every Lord's Day for some sort of an activity, something going on. Luring, goading, enticing. Not bad stuff, not horrible stuff. Some fun stuff, some entertaining stuff. Some good things. But luring and goading. See, that's the Laban we need to be careful of. And you know, the funny thing is, Jacob knows it. He sees it. But he's unwilling to remove himself from it. So God has to come. Go to Genesis 31, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. See, that's what brings about the passage we read. In which we see not Laban as self-seeking. What we see him now is for who he truly is. He's an out-and-out idolater. Jacob leaves. And yes, Jacob leaves seeking to deceive, seeking to trick. He's not trusting God. He should have been up front with Laban. He should have said, Laban, listen, the Lord came to me and told me it's time to leave you. You've swindled me. You've deceived me. You're dishonest. You're an idolater. I am not spending another day with my family in this place. 
We are leaving. I'm taking my family. I'm taking my flocks. We're gone. But but Jacob instead does not answer boldly. Jacob instead sneaks off. Verse 22. When it was told Laban that Jacob had fled, he pursued him for seven days. Now, this is what you... See, Laban is an idolater at heart. He is so much of an idolater that he looks at the distance between him and Jacob and and he says, I'm still going to pursue him. I am going to hunt that Jacob down. I am going to hunt him down. I'm going to overtake him. And I'm going to force either force him back with me or I'm going to kill him. Seven days he pursues. I mean, you remember the importance of seven, right? Seven is the reminder to us of, of the fact of completion. In other words, it's telling us Laban did not let up. Laban is going to get there. Laban is going to pursue his goal. He's going after Jacob. And he does so. When he reaches Jacob, we get to that verse 30. 31 verse 30. He first says, you know, you took off. You didn't let me see my daughters, my sons, like he really cares. Verse 30, we get to the heart of the matter. And now you have gone away because you long greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Now Jacob doesn't know it. But his wife, the one who who he's captivated by, the one who his eyes have led him to pursue, is also an idolater. She's got the gods hid in the saddlebags that she's sitting on. Jacob doesn't even know it. (laughs) There is so much taking place here, so much going on, Jacob is just clueless. Why? Because he's not pursuing righteousness, as he should be. The charge, you took my gods, more than one. Apparently, this this must have been rather well known. Jacob doesn't respond and say, Gods, I didn't know you were an idolater. Since when did you start worshiping gods? This must have been well known. And if you think about the fact that that they're in some saddlebags, and obviously there's more than one because the plural is used, so more than one in the saddlebags would mean we've got a bunch of little statues, household gods. You need more than one because you, you need a, a God for lambs, you need a God for goats, you need a God for children, you need a God for your wheat, you need a God for your corn, you need a God for the rain, you need, you need a God for the moon, you need a God for the sun. Household gods. This is what Laban is. Laban's an idolater. He's a worshiper of these gods. See, all this talk about God. Doesn't mean a thing. Because when it really comes down to what's really at the pursuit of Laban, 
He wants his gods back. He wants his idols back. Now, why does he want his idols back? He wants his good luck. He wants his success. See, this is not the story of the conflict between two Christian men who can't get along. This is the story of a man of God, of the promised line, who is cooperating with a pagan. And the outcome of this story is not good. This whole thing is not good. God has given us this word so that we are trained in righteousness. So when we look back and we say, you know, this whole thing about being an opportunist, this whole thing about being a deceiver, this whole thing about being self-seeking, what's at the heart of this? Laban is an idolater. It is the worship of self. It's not the worship of God that is being in mind. It's the worship of self. So what does the chapter end with? We got Laban coming in hot anger, looking for his gods. We got Jacob kind of beginning to rise up and say, hey, enough of this. What are you doing charging me? Stop it. Where does this end? Well, we end it with the fact of point six, that Laban is a submitter. Boundary markers are made. See, now remember, Laban came to pursue. Laban came to reclaim. Now there's a boundary marker. What's the boundary marker's purpose? We don't cross. This is the stone of witness. This is the heap of witness. This is the watchtower. You don't come into my territory. No. No believer should enter into that territory. But I don't enter yours either. I got to stop here. Now, now notice what's going on. The Laban, who comes tearing after Jacob, suddenly has to stop. I can go no further. There is tremendous comfort in that for you and I. That the Lord says, stop. There is a heap of witness. There is a stone of witness. My friends, there remains a stone of witness today as well. It's a stone that was rolled away from a tomb. And God says to the devil, stop. It's as far as I let you go. You can go no further. You can't enter into my territory. You can't lay claim upon mine. There is a fountain that has washed them. Leave them alone. But too often, my friends, what happens is we journey over the line. Satan rubs his hands in glee. <laughs> One thinks 
they're wise enough and strong enough to enter into my land. There's a hedge. Protection around us. But we dare not cross the hedge. There's a boundary that stops Laban's pursuit. And that was by necessity. God appeared and God said, no, Laban. Even Jacob references it. You know, you you would have done horrible things to me had God not said, stop. That's enough, Laban. God's purpose was to draw that line of separation, that distinctiveness, that holiness. God draws that line by putting Noah in a boat. It says, you, I will save. God draws that line when he comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, the line for you that is drawn is you and your descendants are going to receive the sacrament of, sac- of circumcision. You're going to be my holy, distinct people. See, Laban is an uncircumcised idolater. And Jacob is the Lord's. His holy people. It's interesting when you read that passage from 2 Peter chapter 1 or chapter 2. It begins by by talking, you know, it's the passage that says, you know, we are the holy people, the royal priesthood, people that God has called out of darkness into his marvelous light. But the beginning of that passage references Christ as the stone. He's the cornerstone. He's that pile of rocks set there between Jacob and Laban. Christ is the rock of offense. For us as believers, He is the rock of our security, the rock of our strength. We come to the rock and we're watered, we're fed, we're purified, we're cleansed. But for the unbeliever, He is the rock of offense. It is Christ who makes this great distinction between us. See, that's what God is communicating to us here. That my son, my son makes all the difference. And my son should make the difference. Your relationship to Jesus Christ, my relationship to Jesus Christ, ought to make us flee the Labans of this world and say, no, we want nothing to do with them. We don't want to follow them. We don't want to pursue them. We don't want their wealth. We're not going to stand for their deceptions. Christian, Up and smite them. Christian, answer boldly. Christian, while you pray, you live, you seek to live for the glory and the honor of Christ. You're His people. This is the awesome thing. That when we dwell within Christ, Satan 
can't touch us. Ah, the beauty of that. The hope of that. The comfort of that. This is the last time we read of Jacob and Laban. It's an eternal separation. It's an eternal boundary meant for all time. For all eternity, brother and sister in Christ, we're His. We're His. And we dwell in the safety of His love. And the cross, the tomb, the heap of witness is our watchtower. Amen?